Hello, everybody. This is Josh Baum from Rock Recovery. And this is Angie Meadows. And we've been, we, were, we did a couple lessons on the enablers journey, Josh, and I realized that all the rest of them are my rock, are very similar to my Rocket Recovery lessons. So we're going to start the next book in the Rocket Recovery that I actually just published last weekend called Detachment. And I want to tell you a story about how Rocket Recovery came about. Um, I had... Uh, I had a building that had lots of damage and lots of trash and lots of things that needed cleaned out of it and lots of poison ivy and just mowing. And so I was picking up uh, a recovery guys to help me. And this one jumped in the car and his name was James. And from the very first day he jumped in my car to go help me, he was my kid. <laughs> That's just all there was to it. He read my books from cover to cover and he coached me on how to help those in recovery and how to start this rock recovery series he said enablers don't even know they're sick we know they're we're sick we would read these books <laughs> and he said we need some of this stuff to talk about in our groups so that we got something other than our social issues at the end of the group to be able to carry with us throughout the day so over the course of the next six to nine months uh we hung out quite a bit i took him to church every time i went and he was just my kid I dearly love James, and um, he could not take counsel from from men, but he could take anything at, that I threw at him. He he could listen, and he could learn, and, and I feel like if I'd had these books set up, um, Josh, that James would have had more help. More info. More, yes, yes, because he was very intelligent, and yes, he, he, wanted, he wanted to recover, and I'd never met... I never met somebody in addiction that wanted to recover, had a good work ethic, and wasn't a thief. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't really realize that I could help somebody in recovery until I met James. And so I ended up going back home uh, to Pennsylvania for several months. And when I got back, he had been in eight different rehabs. He'd called me every few weeks, and I'd prayed over him when we talked about what he was doing and where he was going. But he hadn't really gotten the help that he needed. He he couldn't sit still long enough to build the stability to get the help that he needed. So when I got back, I realized, oh, my goodness, he's so bad. He was all over the place. And he was living with a kid that was starting to use, and I said, we got to get you in a house. We got to get you back in a sober house, and he agreed, and we called around. We got him in a sober house, and uh, then he decided, no, I, I want to save my money for a car. I'm, You know, he was walking five miles to get to work, yeah. and um, he went back to the house, the other house, and he says, I'm not going to use. Well, not unless it's put in front of me. So I should have just insisted that he get out of there because four days later he was gone. Yeah. Uh, he was your friend, too. Yeah, he was. <laughs> so what did he teach you? Uh, one of the real uh, healthy things that he taught me is he was also a bodybuilder. He took care of his health at a time when he was thinking right, clearly. And uh, he told me one day, he was like, if a man can have enough discipline to get up and exercise to make his body better every single day or do something to better himself every single day, he can be disciplined enough to uh, do recovery and continue to do recovery because all the pains you go through weightlifting is some of the pains you'll go through with growth. Pain is growth. So, yeah. and he explained all that to me. And I, and now today, 
What do I do, Angie? Every he day. He gets up every morning. And <laughs> He's I waiting for them to unlock the door <laughs> at the gym. Every day. <laughs> so we want to do this rocker recovery today and in honor of our buddy James. And plus I can just actually say out loud and outwardly that he was actually a good friend, actually. He was. He was. He was. He was. He, was he a, liked you. He liked you. Yeah. He was a he was a good kid. He was worth saving. And he's the one that taught me how to relate to those in active recovery. He taught me what that looked like. And I didn't help him more because I thought I had been told as an enabler that they got to do it on their own. They got to do it on their own. Well, yeah, if they're in passive recovery, they do have to do it in their own. But if they're in active recovery, for God's sake, let's grab them. Let's give them a leg up. Let's get them stable. Let's get them on their feet. Let's keep them in that active recovery. And there is a podcast on active recovery and passive recovery and the difference so that you will know. And I also published a reconciliation book, uh, Josh, last year um, that's about 50 pages on evaluating Um, whether or not you're capable of bringing somebody home from prison or somebody home from a sober house, what, what you're just evaluating, what it looks like, how much, um, enabling you've done in the past, how to help yourself to build help, how to have them build a trust with you and not just automatically give it, how to hold them accountable with third parties so that we can bring our loved ones home and not be walking on eggshells and not be enabling them, but allow them to have that stability to recover. And I think we're going to need more programs to set up a third party accountability with that. Yeah. So this book's called Rocker Recovery Detachment. Start with the introduction, Josh. Healthy detachment leads to healthy connectedness. Genuinely strong and vibrant relationships develop from relationship interdependency. Dominance, control, clinging, or passivity, passivity leaves us empty, lonely, confusion, and codependency. Having a progressive journey to health and well-being includes identifying the bad and separating it from the good we can consciously choose to detach from the vow and the and have the energy to invest in what is precious discussions will also include how to identify the methods others may use to deceive a person in recovery to become an enabler in another person's passive recovery our loved ones in active addiction are good at playing on our past regrets and pulling at our compassion heartstrings. <laughs> so we have to understand what that passive recovery looks like. And we'll get to that again. Uh, we repeat it again in this book. But these relationships are so easy to spot because they are characterized by confusion. And a true false recovery outline will be included here in our teaching in throughout this book. And we'll also talk about severe versus functional addiction and whether or not we they need more than what we can do to help them to, to, to recover. So it helps us to understand the depth of character needed for long-term recovery. Consider this information on detachment a way to be able to detach from your own emotions so that you do what's best instead of what um, the person's asking you to do or telling you to do Um, so detachment is an emotional developmental maturity skill it gives you permission to own your own decisions and let somebody else own their own decisions and the consequences to their decisions because if if I usurp the consequences consequences then I'm literally giving them a pass. <laughs> so I want you to, to understand uh, the different levels of enabling, the different steps of enabling. Number one. 
Enabling keeps others dependent upon me. Mm. See, I, I want healthy adults to be independent. And so the decisions I make for them is to help them become independent, not more dependent upon me. Number two. Enabling causes toxic and unhealthy relationships. I know that relationships toxic when I'm trying to rationalize and reason with them and they can't hear me. <laughs> no. Enabling relives my suffering temporarily. Yes. But causes more grief and anguish long term. Yeah, so there may be a relief when I enable, but it's not going to be long term. It's going to be more grieving later on because now it just needs to be a, a stronger consequence for them to learn. Number four. Enabling cripples my loved ones with, from being responsible. Mm. Yeah, so if I'm helping somebody be irresponsible, I'm the problem. Number five. Enabling has the opposite effect than what I intended. Hmm. Number six. Enabling causes confusion in all my other relationships. So if you're enabling somebody and all the other people in your family uh can see it and you can't there's a lot of contention there's a lot of arguing there's a lot of confusion with other people that are saying you've got to stop this you're being taken advantage of you you know you're being hurt you're being uh, manipulated so if other people are saying that to you I need you to get to codependency groups um, and you may be a recovering addict but if you're bringing somebody into your home that is in early recovery and is just playing a game and being passive with their recovery, it's not going to be long before you're not in recovery. <laughs> you're going to be relapsed way sooner than they're going to recover. Yeah. So number seven. Enabling distance my healthy family and friends. Hmm. So the healthy people in your life are going to uh, step back when you're being toxic with people in passive recovery. Number eight. Enabling results in more guilt shame and despair so i am responsible to stop my enabling whether i'm an enabler or whether i'm uh, have been in addiction chemical addiction before and now i am in recovery i'm responsible to not enable other people because um, if i give them bail money pay their fees their fines their car payments their gas or child support I, I, I'm just destroying them. I'm destroying a healthy identity for them. So the very first principle in detachment is detachment in love without fear. That's what I want to do. I want to be able to step back and say, I can do this without fear. Okay, so read right here. Detachment is not cold, withdrawn, or isolated, but a decision to do what is best for myself first. It is a healthy boundary of knowing where my responsibility begins and where it ends. It is a healthy separation that leads to healthy connectedness. So Josh, whenever I have a lot of fear, I can't make the right decision. That's right. <laughs> I can make the decision based about my fear about what if he does? What if he loses this? What if he loses his job? What if he loses his car? What if he loses? Yeah, yeah, I'm making decisions out of fear. Made on whim or yes. instantly. So there I mean? is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out or casts out fear because fear has to do with torment. 1 John 4, 18. So I want to love perfectly. And you know, God uh, loves perfectly. And I Amen. believe that that perfect love allows me to choose between life and death, blessings and cursings, um, you know, whether or not I want light or darkness in my life. And then he lets me suffer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's like, well, how's it working for you, little girl? Yeah. <laughs> you ready to repent yet? <laughs> <laughs> so the Lord's not afraid to let me learn the hard way. He's not afraid to let me learn those little lessons quick. But if somebody's always stepping in and saving me, yeah. I don't learn. You'll not learn. So no. here's some practical steps. Number one. <laughs> 
Step back from the insanity. Anyone who is out of control emotionally is not safe. This person is in an emotionally exaggerated mode characterized by excessive complaining. This type of complaining can escalate quickly into raging. So when there's somebody that's not grateful and they're complaining, I want you to step back. Number two. Leave the room when emotions are high. When a person is emotionally or physically out of control, there isn't anything you can do to appease them. Remove yourself from the pre- their presence quickly as possible. And you know, Josh, even if it's somebody that's safe and you both have exaggerated emotions and an opinion that's opposite, it's best just to separate until your emotions come down and you can have a, a genuine conversation with respect. That's real. <laughs> it's crazy. That took me 40 years to realize that. But that's real. <laughs> it took me 60. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm ahead. <laughs> Number three. Uh, don't argue or talk with someone who isn't sober. Oh, Amen. Yeah. That's a fact. An, an intoxicated person repeats themselves incessantly. Whatever they are repeating is usually something from their past that they haven't dealt with properly and released. It can be as devastating as trauma from war, unresolved pain from childhood, a past divorce, or just a simple nagging irritation. We're just good at playing the victim. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's so, it's so easy to fall into the trap of playing the victim when I was in addiction. Like, I, everybody else was everybody else. It was everybody else's fault. The world, <laughs> the banks, the the president. Mm-hmm. When really, my bubble's my fault. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's I, I have to take the steps to be closer to God to stay sober. You know what I mean? Amen. And I do think that if I can handle disappointment, then I can handle the good stuff when it comes and be able to release that to the Lord. If I can handle betrayal, then I can handle loyalty. (laughs) So I think um, that the glory of God is heavy. And if I can be uh, stable when the bad stuff's smacking me around and not like, like if I'm being criticized and I can still be stable, then when I'm being praised, I can still be stable. I'm not going to be shifting, oh, yay, I want to chase after the praise. I'm not going to be doing that because I've already handled the misjudgment and the the criticism and, and, and stabilized with that. So I want to be able to be stable, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Um, So let's do number four. Refuse to be provoked. If you allow yourself to become angry, the immature person in front of you will mirror your response. Unfortunately, they will most likely power up and exaggerate the behavior. (laughs) So don't allow anyone to engage you who isn't in control of their emotions or behaviors. Walk away. Number five. Don't take abusive words as truth or eternalize them. This takes practice to not personalize things. It's an emotional maturity skill that must be developed. Abusive words sting. Unkind or careless words can alter my mood and rob me of my peace. So I want to make sure that when that happens that I realize, well, I just personalized this. I just made this about me instead of pushing it away, praising God, remaining stable, letting the storm pass, you know, that type of stuff. I want to be able to stay stable because I see a lot of kids relapse when they're misjudged, when they're criticized, when they're not heard, not seen, not validated. And and if they could just stay steady during that little bump yes. <laughs> and consider it a bump in a road and not a dive off a cliff. 
<laughs> but what I see in addiction is there's a lot of high emotions and a lot of low emotions. And what you want is little waves yes. and not gigantic ups and downs. And see, that, that takes practice. I have a, I don't even know if I should say, I have a harsh opinion on some things like it's, and it's, it's true because I live this part and I, I'm around it a lot, but a lot of people don't realize that I was looking for any excuse. So not being seen, not being heard was my excuses, you know what I mean? Okay. And if I if I played that part in front of you, I wanted you to enable me. Mm. So it was my part of manipulation. Oh. I didn't want you to detach, you know what I mean? That's right. So really I have to I have to heal myself. Yes, I do want attention, but I have to heal myself. People help in this process, but okay. like people have to realize that just because you're seen or your feelings aren't facts. You know what I mean? Right. At the end of the day, feelings are facts. Your feelings, whatever you're feeling when you're going through the pain of growth is not always a fact. You know what I mean? I get that. I don't know if that's too harsh. to. No, to maybe... that's exactly right. Okay. So I, I think what you're saying is that it was your way to regulate yourself, to get that need met. Even though it was a dysfunctional way, yeah. you were trying to get our scene and heard and validated but yet it was toxic yes <laughs> it was that's dysfunctional exactly, that's, but that's all you knew yes to regulate yourself right. that's all you knew and so if somebody walked away from you and said excuse me let me know when you're grown up yeah how did that feel <laughs> that makes Jeez, you crazy yes yeah because that controlling somebody else in the relationship was the ability to regulate yourself to feel like you were safe instead of realizing no wait a minute that's toxic that's real yeah that's exactly so where i think we've just learned toxic ways of relating to each other yes number six uh when it is the other person's emotional pain let them own it it is important for others to feel their own pain there are times to comfort them. Sometimes we can guide others through questions to acknowledge where their pain originated and why the situation triggered and exaggerated an emotion. And hopefully the original wound can be uncovered and empower the person to release the pain that causes them to be stuck emotionally. Hmm. Number seven. Allow yourself to identify and feel all your emotions. Hmm. Move through that Very quickly. Important. Yes, this is an emotional maturity uh, skill to not attach to your emotions, but to detach from your emotions and just observe them. Visualize them as being outside of yourself. Observe them as being separate. Do not identify with your emotions. Instead, identify with Christ. Say, yep, I'm sad. Uh, well, I feel in some depression, but these emotions are not me. They're the light on the dashboard telling me the oil needs changed, but they're not the car. Mm. So they're a little beeping noise that's telling me I've got something that I need to address in my life, but it's not me. And so if I identify with these emotions, I'm stuck. Yes. I could be stuck for a long time. And then I can do silly stuff to regu regulate myself, yeah. uh, you know, like, like substance use, like yeah. anger, like violence, like cutting. You know, I can do stuff like that to try to regulate myself, which I don't need to do. I need to sit with it and let these feelings be my teacher. So number eight. Don't think of yourself as an emotion, but as stability. Hmm. An example is fear versus courage. Identify who you want to be inside. I am strong. I am courageous. I am peaceful. I am free from anxiety. I am loved. Don't let your emotions drive your thinking. Let your thinking guide your behaviors and your emotions. 
Number nine. One of the most important things I've seen so far right here, mm-hmm. what I'm about to read. Understand, most people will not change without suffering. Mm, we got to let them suffer. <laughs> suffering for some can be a good motivator for change. They need it. Don't rescue them from poor consequences of their choices. Uh, The more irresponsible a person is with their decisions in life, the tougher their consequences will need to be for them to learn to become responsible. So when they bring their problems and attempt to coerce you to correct the problem or to pay the fine, say, what did you do to receive this consequence? What could you have done differently? What did you learn from this experience? What are you going to do different next time? You know, put it back on them. So one time I was in my kitchen. I was always in my kitchen cooking. And my loved one was um, uh, needing to go to prison. And I was asking God, okay, Lord, I need to go do this. I need to go bail him out. I need to fix this. And I said, you're going to have to teach me what to do here. And I turned, and of course, I listened to lots and lots of preaching. So I turned on the radio. And the very next sermon, the fellow was saying, now, if your loved one, you have worked with them for 10 years and they're worse and he was. He was worse. You got to let him learn the hard way. You got to let him go. And that might need, mean some street therapy. And I thought, oh, that's the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Just literally answered a question that I just prayed five minutes ago. <laughs> Ain't that awesome? Yeah. That's how he so, works, too. I mean, it was the uh-huh. toughest thing I could do, man, hanging on to. To, to my sanity to be able to let my loved ones go to the street. It, it was rough because I had so much fear. What will happen? What if he's hurt? What if he's blah, 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 blah? What if I can't find him? But look at him today. Look at him today. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he tells me the best thing you ever did for me was to leave me. Amen. That's and right. to leave me for in real. the streets and to force me to face my decisions and my consequences. Now he's chasing God like and he's starving now, to death. Yes. It's now, awesome. Now he's posting scripture and yes. teaching me scripture and writing me devotions and journaling and and we're several years into recovery, and he'll say, uh, don't worry, Mom will not put up with this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if she leave me in the street, she'll yes. leave you in the street. That's a fact. So, I mean, it was tough. But, you know, how how could I have learned what I need to learn to work with those in recovery if I had not gone through the toughest of the toughest with my loved one? That's real. So number 10. A person making absurd decisions needs the consequences of their poor choices to change their behaviors. If the consequence is usurped, we rob them of a life lesson. It is like helping that butterfly. His wings will be weak. He will never fly. Mm. So our loved one needs to struggle, to mature, to grow. Prison may save their life. A DUI may wake them up to someone else's life to save that other person's life. If you rescue them when their substance use disorder uh, is uh, active, you almost always guarantee the need for another life lesson with stronger consequences. Their behaviors may progress from failing grades, falsifying workers' comp claims, robbing employers, and other employees to bank fraud and armed robbery. Consequences may progress from fees, fines, uh, 30-day jail time to long-term prison terms or life-threatening overdoses. A prodigal need needs a pig pen to understand his foolish choices. Luke 15. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I got tongue-tied for a second. A prodigal. Oh, read it again. A prodigal 
right? Yes, a okay, prodigal. A prodigal. A prodigal needs a pig pen to understand his foolish choices. Luke 15. A prodigal means one that's going his own way. Yeah. So remember to be happy when others are depressed. Remember the butterfly struggles? These ups and downs are normal and necessary. Don't let the emotions of another rob you of your joy. Now that takes a lot of skill. If yes. somebody else is mad or angry or sad or bullying, it takes a lot of skill. I gotta, I gotta have my defenses up when I know I'm going into the presence of somebody who's emotionally volatile. Yes, to be able to walk away and shake it off quickly. See, I'm you're a lot more mature in it than me. I, I still drag other energy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can handle it better now because of God, but I'm still a dragger of energy. If I'm around somebody that's negative, even if I'm trying to help them, say like my sponsee or something. It will mess my next three days up, but not mm. like it won't mess outwardly. It will just be like I can feel something's off. So what if you looked at them as a vampire? Yeah. And you looked at the word of God, God as your garlic. <laughs> so yeah. Here it is, buddy. Yeah, for real. <laughs> it may stink to you, but it's going to be healthy for me. Yeah. <laughs> so do not take on the problems of others. Listen with sympathy. Take a deep breath and say, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> How are you going to plan so you don't end up here again? <laughs> All right. Do not listen to grumbling, whining, and complaining, but encourage problem solving. These negative verbal embellishments offer little and insight helplessness. Instead? Develop a plan to succeed, or you may end up in a helpless trap. Victims? Do not recover. So let's look at what it looks like. What did I say again? Victims do not recover. They don't. So we're going to look at this. Whenever I play a victim, I'm literally in a helpless trap. So um, Josh is going to read the victim mentality, and I'm going to read the discipline thinking. So until I realize that I don't have to chase every stupid thought, I can discipline it. I can take charge of me. And I don't think we're taught that as a child. I don't think we're taught that. I think we're taught to eat a cupcake and think that we need another one. <laughs> Our M&Ms. That is true. Instead, you know, sometimes, oh, you, M&Ms, get, huh? <laughs> sometimes you get to say, okay, we're eating the, we're eating the spinach today. <laughs> you so, leave my M&Ms out all of All right, this. so he's going to give you cupcake thinking. I'm going to give you spinach. <laughs> Victim mentality, whining, complaining. Okay, and the spinach is disciplining my mind to change thinking patterns. Poor planning. Plan and prepare for change. Unpredictable circumstances. Flexible. Expect the unexpected and make allowances for it. Blaming. Accepting responsibility for my actions. Now, I want to go back to that flexibility. That is a character skill. Um... An oak tree doesn't bend. And there are times that I need to be an oak tree. I need to be steady, steadfast during the storm. But there are other times that I need to be a a palm tree. Yeah. I need to be able to weather that hurricane. (laughs) Or the limb of an oak tree. Yeah. Yeah, where I can move back and forth and not be uh, thrown off course. Yeah. Okay, so the next one. Excuse making. No excuses for poor behavior. Just stop making excuses for yourself and for other people. All or nothing thinking. Instead, I want balance. Instead of saying I uh, never or always, I want to balance that with, okay, sometimes this doesn't work out. Okay. Faint-hearted. Giving up too quickly. Being steadfast and diligent. And we just did a podcast on that. Fearful. Courageous. Anxious. Confident. Stressed. When I'm stressed, I want to intentionally learn to relax. 
Constant worry. Worrying needs to be a, 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 a signal that I need to trust the Lord. In, insomnia. Insomnia needs to be a signal that I need to develop the skills of resting in God and trusting him and laying my problems on the altar before I go to bed. Overeating. Instead of disciplined eating. Undereating, anorexic. Instead, I want healthy meals. Self-abuse, cutting, mind-altering behaviors, gaming, binge, television, irresponsible actions, lacking self-control. Yeah, instead I want self-care, exercise, healthy diet, healthy thinking, counseling if I need to, community of caring, friends, and these things don't come accidentally. They're all intentional. I will never be better. I can do this. Nothing will ever help me. I can be patient while I search for answers. I will never overcome this injury, illness, addiction, or diagnosis. I can improve in many areas, and I can keep working and being hopeful with those stubborn issues in my life. I am hopeless. I am full of hope. I feel like giving up. There is no retreat. Frankly, have feelings of depression. Empowered through disciplining my thinking and separating my identity from my irrational thinking. Suicidal thinking. Suicidal thinking isn't an option. I refuse to go there. And so we just have to realize that, yeah, sometimes we're going to feel depressed. And it's okay to sit with it for a while, but it's not okay to stay there. If you're stuck in depression, then you need to get help. You need to get in a community. You need to get in groups and meetings with a counselor, with a trusted friend. If you have suicidal thinking, it's not something that you need to act on. It's just a little broken inner part of you. And you need to exercise your stronger side to be able to go back and nurture your little suicidal side to say hey what are you feeling why are you feeling it what triggered it when did this first start how old were you Um, what made you feel like that this time and so that we can start working on that so a lot of times when somebody's thinking um, suicide there's there's pain there there's a wound Mm. there that needs to be surfaced and healed and in if not we might act it out where it's just a little part trying to rebalance you so listen to the little cry but don't uh and and comfort that little cry inside of you but don't obey it (laughs) you don't obey a (laughs) four-year-old and that could be a that could be a 16 year old inside of you fussing and carrying on and not getting his way and and having struggles that needs to grow up and you need to take your stronger person and you need to get him help you need to say okay we're going to go to the doctor we're going to get help we're going to we're going to go to recovery we're going to get we're going to get stronger and you gotta you gotta have that uh, angel on one side and the devil on the other (laughs) you gotta be talking to yourself with your angel voice okay so the exercise is discuss one point from the lesson and apply it to your life okay and the application is applying detachment principles in our lives helps us observe emotions as our teachers or guides to heal our inner wounds. If we attach to negative rumin- rumination. rumination or painful emotions, there is no healing. There is only repetitive negative holding us in bondage of emotional suffering. 95% of our thinking is the exact same as yesterday. It is subconscious and unintentional thinking. We need to pull up our subconscious thinking and retrain our thought patterns. Yeah, so a lot of this stuff is just um, habit. Like I find myself in a habit of self-pity or a habit of grieving. So when I hear that little noisy stuff, I need to think about, okay, what's 
strong? What's the opposite? How do I engage joy? How do I, because otherwise it's going to go on for decades and I'm going to be stuck in this habitual pattern of grieving because there's just a lot of problems in life that don't resolve. And if I set with a grieving, it may not be happening today. It may be something I'm anticipating for tomorrow, but it's going to ruin today. Yeah. So the de- the detachment principle, number one, is detachment is not cold, withdrawn, or isolated, but a decision to do what is best for myself first. So read the conclusion. Let others learn while the consequences are minor. It is better for them to lose their driver's license for a year and have forced accountability with court order probation than to spend 10 years in prison for vehicular manslaughter. Life-threatening behaviors need to be addressed immediately. Any lying, cheating, or stealing should be confessed and discerned the motive behind the behavior. Is it a habit? A learned survival skill? Is it motivated to please others? Mm. So if I'm lying, it could be a habit. It could be a habit I learned in childhood and domestic violence to make sure that I didn't get hurt. Yes. <laughs> it could be a survival skill. Uh, and it could be a motivation of being a people pleaser, just trying to tell them what they want to hear. It could be me kind of hiding, feeling small. And so, you know, if you've got habits like this, it's not the end of the world. You just need to lay them out before the Lord and start saying, okay, how do I work on this? How do I work on that? And uh, partial recovery isn't recovery. Partial recovery is not recovery. Yeah. So I need to actively fully engage in my recovery, whether it's recovery from enabling or whether it's recovery from chemical addiction, gambling, what other toxic behaviors you have, whether it's anger that you're addicted to, whether it's self-pity, grieving. And, you know, if you get in an emotion long enough, Josh, you're going to be addicted to it. Amen. That's for sure. (laughs) If you're, if rage... (laughs) If rage is something that regulates you where now you've discharged it and you can go to sleep that night, you're addicted to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, recovery is all over so that we have a healthy life, healthy emotions, healthy heart, happiness, joy inside of us. Not, it doesn't mean our circumstances are going to be marvelous right away. It means we're going to feel different inside. Yes. So that's the end of Lesson 1 of Rocker Recovery Detachment. You can find it on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Pandora. And Josh, pray us out of here. Father God, we humbly ask you to help me to do what is best for my future. Help me to set up boundaries and discipline in my life. Help me detach and make the best decision for my future, Father. Let me discipline my thinking and refuse to be a victim to my past and or any current circumstances. Mm-hmm. I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. I love you. Amen. <laughs> we love you, Lord. Amen. Lord, we just pray that you be with those, that you empower them. You empower them to detach from that noisy stuff that harms them, that robs them of their joy, that robs them of their peace, that keeps them up at night. Lord, help them to detach from it. We just love you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.